Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Good to be here. Um, so I'm going to begin tonight by talking a bit about football. Um, so if if you aren't a football fan, I don't care. Um, so, so in high school, I played football. Um, so actually, I played football from the age of 4 to 18. It was like this huge defining thing for me. Um, it, it, and, but, but I always played fullback. I was like a fullback forever. And, and, um, and the fullback doesn't ever get the ball. It's just the bottom line. You, know, you don't get the ball. You block all the time. You just get your blocks. Get your blocks. And the halfback gets all the glory, right? Halfback gets the ball all the time. But the fullback's the guy who makes it happen. If the fullback gets the block, then the halfback gets the glory. That's how it goes. And so, so during my junior year, I told myself, I'm going to be a halfback. I'm going to be a halfback for my senior year. I'm going to get the glory. I'm going to shine. That kind of a deal, because that's important, right, to get the glory. And so, um, so, so my whole junior year, I just busted my butt, you know, to get faster, uh, to drop some pounds. I dropped 20 pounds. Um, I, I just... I, I just put so much time into preparing to be a halfback for the following school year, this senior year. And so I was going to football camps. I put extra practices in. Like I was doing whatever it took to be a halfback. And so uh, football season came around and who did did our coach pick to be halfback? Me. And because he saw that I put in so much time, so much heart, so I, mean, I earned it. Like I earned the halfback experience for um, my senior year. So um, the two days happen and, and kind of the whole preseason happens. Um, the, the games are starting to come down the pike and I am so excited uh, to play halfback. At the same time, there is a private school in town. Um, and so the private school um, has this halfback who is phenomenal and like super attractive. Like he's perfect. He had the blonde flowing hair that would pop out from his helmet. And, and like, it was like, man, I want to be a halfback. Anyway, um, so his parents could not afford to send him to private school anymore. The day before our first game, he pops up on our team. And our coach had a crush. Right? I mean, he had this crush on this halfback. His name was Toby. And, um, and so even though he did not practice the entire summer on our team, even though he did not, like, he got to start in the halfback position, and I was fullback. And so, yeah, it was like, okay, this would be, you know, and I was livid, like, just livid. And so our team had this play that that he would just do all the time, pound it, pound it, pound it. It's this 28 sweep. It's coming around the end, and the, half, the, the fullback gets a block, and halfback gets a glory, right? And he scored seven touchdowns in that game because of me. And everyone was, like, ecstatic for him, ecstatic for him. They were so excited for his flowing blonde hair. And I would be so mad with every touchdown because it just didn't seem fair. It was wrong. Like, it was wrong. I didn't care that that our team just conquered. I cared because I, I just cared about myself and the situation. I earned his glory, and it made me so mad. Because the truth kind of is, is how I'm programmed, and I think how a bunch of us are programmed, is I want the thing that is fair. If I earned it, give it to me. If I, you know, there's black and there's 
right and there's what's correct and there is a thing that is totally wrong. And the fact that this kid could come in and take my spot the day before our first game was wrong. And I hated my coach. I am programmed for what is correct and fairness. And, and, I'm, and, and so much, I think, a part of the Christian culture is about the same thing. Like engaging the Bible is trying to find the truth. Like what is correct? What is black? What is white? What belongs here and what belongs here? Do I belong? Am I out? Who, all that stuff, right? It, it, it's what is God saying? And it's fun to engage it. Like it is fun to pursue the Bible and try to find the truth. Like, God, what are you saying? And it is like a beautiful thing to pursue the Messiah and believe that, that he is paving paths for us and, and grace abounds. And, and it's good to be a part of a church who, who, who says we are set apart and we are pursuing holiness. I mean, like this is a fun thing and we are pro to be a part of a people who pursue what's right and wrong. And if you were nodding kind of along and saying, yeah, it's us, we, we're pursuing the word of God, we're pursuing truth, we're pursuing the Messiah, and we're set apart, then you and me together are in good company with a great people in the Bible who are the Pharisees. Right? The Pharisees were people, one of the first Hebraic groups of people who believed that the Messiah was coming. And furthermore, the, the term Pharisee actually, it, 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 that actually only means set apart. They were set apart and they were pursuing holiness. They were pursuing holiness because it seemed like corruption was all over the place. And they were trying hard to pursue God and what he was saying. So often the Pharisees have this bad thing that's kind of put on them. You know, it's like the evil Pharisees, you know? And so, so all the cartoons that have the Pharisees, that they always talk kind of like the evil people. They're the, the villains. But the Pharisees, they were not evil at all. Like they had great, great, beautiful hearts, probably. You know, they were people who were going after the kingdom at all costs. They were all about, you know, um, um, preserving the word of God and saying, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? I love doing that. And furthermore, they were all about trying to find who is the Messiah. Because he's coming, he's coming. And this is probably the purpose that all throughout the New Testament, whenever you find Jesus, you also find a group of Pharisees because they are trying to find, so is he the Messiah? Is he the one? Because they actually believe the Messiah was coming and they were fighting for it. They were fighting for the kingdom. The, the Pharisees are very important people of the time. Um, because they actually had power. And if they pointed the finger, things happened. And so th throughout the New Testament, th there often is the this teaching between Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees will ask Jesus questions and Jesus will teach them in the form of a parable. A parable is a story um, that, that oftentimes comes across pretty confusing. 
confusing on purpose so that the people who hear the story ask more questions. This is a Jewish goal. How many questions can a single person ask about a easy question? And so, and so parables are very, very common and questions happen and it, it com- commonly happens around like a dinner table. So tonight's passage, it's kind of taking place at a dinner table, and and Christ's community currently is doing a sermon series called The Upside Down Kingdom. And so from the beginning, I'm going to try to present some ideas to you that could possibly be upside down from how you've heard them before in the past. So we have a group of Pharisees, and we have a table, and we have Jesus and the Pharisees are complaining about the fact that Jesus has been hanging around people that are not holy, people who are called sinners. Um, and so the Pharisees are complaining about the people who Jesus has been associating with. And in response to that, Jesus begins to tell the Pharisees a parable. A parable is a a story to teach. And the parable that Jesus tells the Pharisees who are complaining to Jesus about the people he associates with, the parable is the parable of the good or uh, the the prodigal son. And so Jesus begins to tell the story of the prodigal son because the Pharisees are complaining about the people he's hanging around. Think about context for a second, right? So the response of this parable has to make sense to the complaint. The Pharisees are complaining about Jesus hanging around sinners. And then Jesus gives gives them the response of the prodigal son. Pastor Allen talked about the first part of the parable of the prodigal son, which typically in the church context is like the only part of the prodigal son, right? It's the part of the prodigal son that um, there is a father, there is a son. And the son says, I'm out of here. Give me half of the property that I'm entitled to. He takes it and then he goes and, and he parties and he has prostitutes and then he finds himself poor and he doesn't have anything and he comes home and says please can I come back can I be your servant and the father says no way you're my son I love you I think you're awesome and they hug and it's like this story that the church typically tells kind of as is is the this story of God's grace and it's beautiful and people say and they come back and it's like they the evangelical church holds this passage like this is all about the scandalous grace of God it's amazing and it's for everybody However, there are people that argue, like a bunch of people that argue, that the point of the prodigal son is not the prodigal son because that doesn't make sense in the context of there's a table and there's Pharisees who are complaining about Jesus who is associating around sinners. In fact, the point of the prodigal son is what happens after the sinner comes into the house of God and you have the big brother who is out in the field. There are people that argue that the whole point of the prodigal son is what happens after the prodigal son. And that's our passage today. So if you have your Bibles open, please turn them to Luke chapter 15, verse 25. And so as a congregation, here we go. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. 
Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. All right, so the first half of the prodigal son, right? We have the brother who goes away. Half of the inheritance is like gone. He parties, prostitutes, he, and then he comes back, and, and the father like runs out, you know, like whoop, and then hugs him, and it's like, yeah. And then, then the second half is there's a party happening. Like there is a party happening, and the older brother, he is out in the field, and he's doing the things that they do out in the field, whatever that is. They could have the cows out there and he's, you know, tilling up things. He could have a shovel. He could be planting. Who knows? He's doing things out in the field and he's doing an awesome job. And so he hears this party that is happening and he himself doesn't go to the party. He calls to a servant and says, hey, tell me what is going on out there. And then the servant says, your brother has come home. Okay, this is his brother who he left and he took half of his inheritance and he's a disgrace and he's come home. And so, and so his brother has come home and, and your father was so excited that your brother has come home that he's throwing a party and he killed the fattened calf. And that apparently is a huge thing to kill a fat cow. And so and it's, they're having this whole celebration about it. And the brother hears this and he is ticked, right? There's a party. He's in a field. It's like, if you're in a field and there's a party going on, you're going to go to the party, right? I don't like being in fields. And I, I don't know. And so it's like any excuse to go inside. And he's like, no, he's mad. He will not go inside. First of all, I want to just talk about um, the importance of the idea of a field. Um, because everything in a parable is important. So in Hebrew culture, whenever you talk about a field, um, the, the field is the place that your inheritance is. Um, the field is, is, like, is a fertile place of hope, uh, your field. It's so if you sow it, then you're going to get benefit from it. Um, so if you put into it, you're going to get back from it. Um, how hard you, do you know what I'm saying? Um, and furthermore, the more fields you have, the more of a promise you have for your family. Um, it's seen as a place of, of uh, so if you have a field, there is, it's like you have a business. Um, it's a business uh, prospect. Um, so the son is out in the field investing in the family business. The, the other son, the, the brother who has gone away, he actually took from the family business and exploited it. Furthermore, in Hebrew culture, this is kind of poetic, um, the, but it all applies. Um, the Field. There's a field vocabulary for people who approach the Torah. Um, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. For Hebrew people, it's pretty much the only Bible. And so they call the Torah the field um, because when they open it and when they invest, they're sowing seed, they're getting back, they're towing. And it's just a really beautiful picture. And so um, there's this idea that there's the older brother who a bunch of people associate as like the Pharisees 
adversarial character. This is who Jesus is talking to. Like, remember, we're at this table, right? And Jesus is talking to Pharisees. And then all of a sudden, he's talking to the older brother in the field. See what I'm saying here? And so then he hears about this brother who came back who had been the sinner, and he is ticked, and he's in his field. So are you guys following this picture? You can nod your head and say, yes, we're here. We're not sleeping. Good. Okay. And then the passage continues on. Here it is. So good. (sighs) The older brother became angry and refused to go. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. I'm stopping there. What does this say about the character of the father? Okay, um, there are so many things in the Bible that I just I take joy in because it tells us of the character of God. Okay, so whatever you can in the Bible to ask, what does it say about the character of God? What does it say about the character of God? For both of the sons during this parable, the father is an active father. Okay, first of all, you have the son who's coming back and the father sees the son from a far off distance, busts out the door and he runs after his son. Okay, the father comes out of his house towards the son. That shows this idea of like, oh, that's really cool. His heart was, you know, blah, 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 right? Awesome. But then with the older brother too, the older brother is throwing a fit in his field. The poetry of that is sick. Um, that's totally authentic. Um, so um, the, the, the older brother is throwing a fit in his field and he's ticked about his younger brother being celebrated. Um, and the father comes out to him the father doesn't stay in the party and saying well too bad for him the father comes out and pursues the older brother and he pleads with him what does this say about the character of God there is something beautiful about like the heart and soul of Christianity that paints this different picture of God that all the other cultures have of their different gods. It's like God's up there and the people are down here and, and there's this huge gap, right? Um, our God d- does not have the huge gap in between. Our God is a God of pursuit from the beginning. Like he is the God who comes after you. I mean, like you even think about like, like in the beginning of the Bible, where a story begins, you have, you know, the Adam, the Eve, and, and you have the fruit, and they're cast out, get out of here. And then the following chapter, God shows up, and he's talking to Cain, and Cain has blood on his hands. And God's like, hey, the b- blood of your brother cries out to me. Following chapter, did God st- 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 stay in the garden? Obviously not. He's talking to Cain and Cain's talking back like it's no big deal. Like God came out of the garden. Like that's like a huge part of the character of God is like he doesn't stay still hoping you come back. He's like knocking on the door, knocking on the door. Here, I'm right here. I'm right here. He's the, the father comes out of his house and he sees you from a far off distance and he chases you down. He's the father who sees you in your field, throwing a fit, trying to condemn people. And, and he comes out and pleads with you to experience grace. You know, like he is the father of pursuit. 
And this is like a really different character of God um, than a bunch of people experience. I think it's just beautiful. All right, the passage continues. Here we go. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. All right. So the father comes out and is like, buddy, <laughs> you know, like there is this party. There's this celebration. Your brother has come home. It's beautiful. It's good. You know, buddy, I don't say that, like, but that's not dead. That's how the father talks kind of in my head. Uh, buddy, your brother has come home. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. I just got to be honest. I'm going to be honest here for just a moment. I've done everything for you. I've done everything right. I prepared to be a halfback. You know, like I have put in the time. Um, I, I have done everything. I've never disobeyed you. But your other son, who stinks, who took half of your estate and squandered it, and he came back and you throw a party for him and you have never thrown me parties. Like you, you feel you killed the big fat cow for him, but I haven't even had a goat, right? How many of us have been there? I have done everything right, but he gets it. <laughs> All the time, man, all the time, you know? And it's just like trying to, you know, and he's just like going at it. Like he is angry at his brother, right? He is in his field. He is in his field and he is angry at his brother. And you can see him with a shovel talking to his father, you know, and he's doing his job, you know? And he, he's, he's like, man, my brother did everything wrong and he got all the grace and all the gifts. Why is he even here? And I've done everything right. And here I am in my field, you know, trying to prove he shouldn't even be here. <laughs> and so this dialogue is going down and you start to see why Jesus is telling this parable to a table full of Pharisees who are complaining about who Jesus is associating with. See what I'm saying? this parable becomes less about the scandalous grace of God being given to us and more about how do you respond to the scandalous grace of God when it's given to someone else? How do you respond when grace is given, but it doesn't add up? How do you respond when grace is actually grace? Instead of this contractual agreement, this thing you can calculate, this I earned it, this I did it, I believe in it, instead of this grace is given by a God who can dish out grace whenever he wants to dish out grace. How do you respond whenever grace is given out in a scandalous way? How many times... I don't know, have I experienced something and I said, God can't do that <laughs> a lot. You know, like that doesn't fit in this field. How many times, you know, has, has someone been blessed greatly? And I said, nope, he can't do that. 
because I am shoveling in my field. And I shovel harder and harder. And I say, God, I did everything right. Back in uh, 2004, I was the, the high school pastor here. Um, so I came here in 2003. And in 2004, um, there was a high school girl who got pregnant. And, um, and she was fantastic. Uh, she was this girl who, who would come sometimes and then she'd be gone for a super long time. And then, then she'd come a couple other times and then she'd be gone for a super long time. And there's this time that she came back and she was pregnant. She was 14. Yeah. And uh, it was just one of those like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? And so, so I did the thing that the church was supposed to do. <laughs> He threw her a baby shower. And so it was in the back kind of our house and we invited a ton of people and we said, spend a lot of money on her. Like she doesn't have family that's supporting her. She doesn't have any friends. Let's spend lots of money. And we spent a lot of money and we, we had parents decorating and we made this really big thing. And her parents even came. Her parents came, but, but they didn't understand how come the church would possibly even support her because they, they didn't even support her. And so, and so we had this baby shower and there were gifts everywhere and her parents were blown away by the church and she was blown away and we had our whole group there. So there's like 75 kids and we're like, we are like loving this girl. And there were so many emails I got that I shouldn't have done that, that it was inappropriate and wrong. And I said, awesome. <laughs> I'm okay with that because I will err on the scandalous grace of God every time than judgment and, and the thing is, the thing was, in that moment, I was so like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And, and seeing this party and celebration, and then I got these, the emails, and I'm like, oh, and like toward me, because I just want everyone to be on board with, with, with fantastic hope and joy. And her daughter goes to our high school program. Like she's in high school now. And there's just something in that, like the field and what you put in and what comes out. Like this baby who this 14-year-old girl, you know, has a shower for, she's actually a part of our high school program today, which blows my mind. First of all, that she could be that age. Second of all, that I've been here that long. And then I just spiral around in this moment of chaos, like what? God is your plan for my life. Anyway, um, just beautiful things. But it's like in these moments, like how do we respond when the scandalous grace of God happens? The passage continues on. Here's how the father responds. He says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. This is like the whole point of the passage. And this is the point of the parable. Remember the context, a table full of Pharisees. They are, are, they are seeking the truth of the kingdom and they're complaining like, Jesus, why are you hanging around why are you hanging around sinners? Like, why are you spending time with them? And then he gives this story 
about this father who heaps grace upon those who do not belong here and throws parties for someone who should not be celebrated. And then the older brother who has done everything right, the older brother who has done everything right is out complaining and grumbling in the field. And then the father goes out to the guy in the field and, and the, the guy in the field is like, I have done everything right. I have served you. I have, I have never disobeyed you. I have like thrown it down and been awesome forever. And you've never given me anything. And the father responds, you've had everything, but you've just stayed out in this field. It's always been yours. This party has always been happening. Everything I have is yours. Are you going to participate? And, and it's that question. Are you going to participate? Are you going to participate in the invitation to experience the standless grace given to somebody else? And this is one of the biggest joys that we as Christians get to experience in the church, is celebrating when grace is given to somebody else. But we often bypass it because we are so obsessed because grace should be given to us. The football should always be ours. When the honor is given to someone else, we will stay out in the field all day long. But one of the most beautiful parts of this parable is that it is all about how will you experience the scandalous grace when it's given to someone else? How are you want to participate in the grace of God when it's given in a scandalous way? Love it. But oftentimes we get so hung up in the field that we bypass the heart of God. We just miss the heart of God. We miss the character of God all along. And being out in the field, like this is promise. The field, like bottom line is promise. The field is hope. It's investment. It's like, like the field is given by God. Go for it. But sometimes we get so hung up in the field that we miss the heart of God completely. So is it possible to be in the Bible and to miss the heart of God completely? Heck yes. Some of us are so caught up in, in just like digging and digging and digging and digging. And God's like, hey, you're missing the party. Are you going to participate or not? There are some of us that are so hung up on just the idea of coming to church that we miss the heart of God at church. Some of us come to church our entire lives and have never experienced God here. And God's like, hey, you're missing the party. Some of us are like going overseas and we're serving hard and we miss the heart of God. And we miss the opportunity to participate in some of the most beautiful, profound things that God is doing because we're so stuck digging in our field and asking, what about me? What about me? What about me? It can't be them. It can't be them. It can't be them. And some of the best parties in the church happen when it's all about them. When grace is poured out and taken advantage of in a 
way that only the grace of God can be taken advantage of. Like, have you ever heard someone say, oh, they're just taking advantage of God's grace? Well, that's what's beautiful about God's grace. You can take advantage of God's grace. And that points to one of the most beautiful things about grace. And this parable at the table of Pharisees who are blaming Jesus, why are you hanging out with them? And it's like, because I get to hang out with them. That's what we do. And there is this picture I've always had inside of my head. And it's, it's been like this curse. It's, I, I see myself... Okay, this is like a vulnerable thing. And so don't come up to me after service and encourage me, okay? Like I'm just, it's just a thing, okay? I'm okay. Um, so there's this picture I have in my head that, that I'm in heaven. I don't know, I'm apart from heaven and there's the pearly gates, hypothetically, if there are pearly gates, right? Um, so there's a pearly gates, then I'm outside the pearly gates and everyone is going inside and they are filing inside and then God and I are hanging out. And the whole time there's like this like suit that I have on or whatever. That's like saying, I served you, God. And it's like, I have put in my time and all these people, like I have served, I have served, I've served. And, and, and so as people are going in, I'm like high-fiving them and I'm hugging them. Like, oh, so glad you're here. You're awesome. And like this whole thing happens and they're going inside. And then when the final person goes, goes kind of in the gates and it's just me and God, God and I hug, and then I go the opposite direction. And God goes in. It's like heaven was for everyone else but me. Yeah, and that's been like this thing that I've seen in my head, like, like since I was 12. I will serve God and I'll give whatever I have, and heaven is for everyone else but me. And just the other day, I, I saw that picture and I saw the people, I mean, like, I see it every day, and it's been like this heavy thing. And I see people going in, and there's God and I, and everyone goes in. And at the end, God took off my suit, and he put it aside, and he grabs my hand, and he takes me in. And that suit was just so symbolic. I mean, like, I bawl, because it felt like all my pride, all my service, all my... It doesn't matter. Shut up and come enjoy the party. There are so many of us who have promised our hearts of service and dedication to God, but we're so hung up on our hearts and dedication to God that we never experience him and we never go inside because we're all about investment, 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 investment that we never pick the fruit. The thing that is so cool about this parable is it doesn't have an ending. Like, think about it. There's no ending. That's how it ends. The father says, hey, everything I have is yours. The end. And it doesn't say, well, here's how the older brother responded. He picked up his shovel and he kept shoveling. Or it doesn't say his heart was broken and he saw the affliction of his brother and what he had gone through. And so he celebrated alongside of his brother. And no, it says the end. This is it. And for someone, for you and for I, to put ourselves in the shoes of this older brother 
it gives us the opportunity to decide. What do you do when God says, brother, all I have is yours. You've always had it. You have the opportunity. Are you going to stay out here or are you going to come inside and experience the scandalous grace that I poured out upon everybody else? And I think that puts us in this, this beautiful place to respond to God. Like, have you joined the party? Have you gone in? How have you celebrated? Have you had the time to put down your shovel? Have you had the time to pick your head up and say, have I missed the heart of God in this? There are so many practices that are in the church that are beautiful and good. In fact, probably all of them are. But, but also inside of that, it's easy to miss the heart of God in every single practice. And so the thing that I want to invite you into is a time of putting yourself inside the shoes of the older brother after the father says, but everything I have is yours. I've always been with you. I want to offer you the opportunity to begin to think, what does it look like to participate in the scandalous grace of God whenever it's poured out upon anyone? What is it to participate in what God is doing when it doesn't make sense? What is it to give the glory and the honor that you deserve to somebody else? What is God doing? So please close your eyes. And I want to just paint a picture for you to put yourself in their shoes. So just picture yourself being out in a field. This is the story of the parable, right? But you are the older brother. So, um, so picture yourself out in the field. The sun is going down. The sun is, the sky is beautiful. It's orange. It's Colorado. And uh, there's corn and you are out there um, doing what you enjoy. And you hear this party happening and you, um, you're excited about the party, but you're also confused about the party because there is so much to do. There is so much to do. The harvest is plentiful. God has given you gifts and talents. There's so much to do. And then God comes and he says, hey, you're missing it. Why don't you come inside? Join us. We are doing crazy things in there. But you respond, there's so much to do. And God says, you're missing it. I want you to think about what are the things that you are doing or have done that you have missed the heart of God completely in all the good things you're doing.
then put yourself back in the field. And God's like, you're missing it. Come inside. Come be with me. Come party. Come celebrate. You're missing it. And you have the opportunity to stay out and dig and dig, to complain, to be angry, to be jealous, or you have the, the opportunity to put it aside temporarily to come in. Think about the things that would have to happen to put down your shovel, to put the oxen away, and to go inside. There's something that has to happen inside your heart that has to make that choice to come inside. Think about that. So as you choose to either stay there or go inside, God grabs your hands and he tells you something. And you hear it. What is God saying as you have made your choice? God, we thank you that you are the God of grace and that your grace is uncalculated and beautiful and scandalous. God, we thank you that you give honor to those who deserve no honor, that you give glory to those who deserve no glory, and that you give grace to those who deserve no grace, and that's why it's grace. God, pour your grace out upon your people. Help us to hear the things you are saying. Bring healing, hope, and engagement as we are seeking you.